May God speak to you through today's message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Morning. Glad that you're here today and uh, glad uh, we've got a great service for you. And I want to welcome our North Campus joining us by video feed. It was great to be with you guys last week. Had a great time. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our message series on the end of the world by talking about how the world is actually going to end. That's with the second coming of Christ. Now, I was thinking about it over all the years that I've been preaching. I've been preaching since I was a senior in college. Um, I have only preached on the second coming of Christ only one other time. Only one other time. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. I, I, I was shocked when I saw that. And people back in the New Testament days, in Jesus' era, would have thought that was crazy. Because they were absolutely convinced that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. I mean, for them, you know, that was a certainty. But I, I, I haven't preached on this topic very much because, truthfully, I just don't think about it very much. And I don't think about it for the very reasons that you don't think about it. You know, we've got to get kids to practice, and we've got to drop off stuff at the cleaners. Amy's got to work, and we've got dishes in the sink. We've got laundry to do. You know, we're waiting on the repairman that swore he'd be there between 9 and 11. You know, he shows up at 3.30 in the afternoon, you know. I, I mean, life is busy, and it just doesn't seem that Jesus is coming back this week. So, you know, I mean, we got stuff to do. Uh, it's true. And, and if I do talk about the second coming, it's usually like, you know, well, that'll happen before Jesus comes back. Or I'll say something like, well, looks, you know, looks like I'll be doing this till Jesus comes back. Or, honey, I promise I'll get it done before Jesus comes back. You know, something like that. But rarely, rarely do I talk about the second coming the way the Bible describes it. And the truth is, Few of us do. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean that it might not happen in our lifetime. You know, like we talked about the signs last week, it very well could happen in our lifetime, especially, you know, in our, you know, modern, you know, world is shrinking technology age, you know, environment in which we live. But if we don't talk about the second coming, if we don't have a clear understanding of what is going to happen at the end of the world, one of two things is going to be true about each of us. The first thing that might be true is this, is that we would be unprepared for that day when Christ comes. We would find ourselves unprepared because the truth is we get so wrapped up in the hustle and bustle of all of our obligations and getting through the week or just, you know, getting through the season and, you know, all of our comings and goings with all of the things that we are involved in that, you know, we just never get around to making sure that our spiritual lives are in order. You know, and that's something that, you know, we always meant to do or something that we always intended to do, something that we always thought we'd have time to get around to later. But the truth is, later never comes. And when Jesus comes back, or when we exit this life, it becomes too late to fix that. And so if we can live with this tension that Jesus might be coming back in our lifetime, then that gives us a sense of focus, 
and a sense of urgency to make sure that our spiritual lives are in order. And that's something that, you know, we want to pay attention to anyway, right? The second thing that might be true is this, is that if we don't talk about the second coming, we can lose hope. And we can lose hope because the truth is there's some things that happen in our world that can cause us to lose hope. Death of a child. A son or a daughter who repeatedly makes self-destructive choices. Painful divorce, loneliness in marriage, seeing that our world just seems to be becoming more and more morally decadent with each passing year. I mean, those kinds of things can cause us to lose hope, to lose hope that, hope that they can never be fixed, that things could ever turn around, that we would ever recover, that our world would ever change. And, and it's in those moments that if we would fix our gaze on the potential second coming of Christ in our lifetime, that it could give us hope, just like it gave the first century Christ followers hope, because in the end, all evil is vanquished. In the end, all pain and hurt stops, okay? There is an end to sadness, because as the Bible says, the old order of things has passed away. And our Heavenly Father knew that from time to time, we were going to need that kind of encouragement. And he knew that first century Christ followers were going to need that kind of encouragement, just as he knew that 21st century Christ followers were going to need that encouragement. And so therefore, God gives us a glimpse into what is going to happen on that day that Jesus Christ comes back again. And it gives us great hope. And all of that is found in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, okay? Now, how many of you have ever tried to read the book of Revelation before? Yeah, put your hand up. Very good, okay? How many of you were confused? Yes, absolutely. And the reason that that last book is so confusing is because just by its very nature, it's highly, highly symbolic. And it's not like it comes with an answer key where, you know, you know what everything means. It doesn't. So... It's difficult to read. And today, while I don't have time to explain everything in the book of Revelation, by the time we get to the end of the day, there definitely will be some things that will be much clearer. So what is it going to look like on the day that Jesus Christ comes again? Well, here is what the world, go ahead and pull out your message notes so you can follow along. Here is what the world will see on the day that Jesus Christ comes back. It's found in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. The Bible says this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Okay, now that's a reference to Jesus, talking about Christ there. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Man, that is going to be one awesome day. Now, 
The question for us becomes, how does that day when Jesus comes back affect our lives today? How does it affect us today? Well, we've got time to talk about three things. Here's the first. I need to change the image I have of Christ. It means that I need to change the image I have of Christ, okay? Look, when you think of Jesus, what mental image comes to mind? Now, for me, I think about, you know, Jesus in a, you know, white, long white tunic and, you know, brown leather sandals and, you know, long brown hair, you know, short beard, you know, not like, like one of those Duck Dynasty beards, okay, like, like a short beard, you know, and he's American, okay, I mean, that's what I think, and depending on the day I think about him, he may or may not be holding a baby lamb petting it, you know. I'm just saying, that's the image I have. And the truth is, you probably have an image that's somewhat similar to that. And the truth is, when Jesus came the first time, you know, he was born as a carpenter's son. He grew up in a little small town of Nazareth by the Sea of Galilee, and he probably looked a lot like that. But that's not who he is. Because remember, the Bible says that when Jesus was born, he had to empty himself of all of his power, his royalty, and his majesty in order to be born on this earth. So that mental image that you and I have, that's who he was, but that's not who he is now, and that's not who he, how, how he will look when he comes back again. So we have to develop an accurate picture of who he is, because what we have in our minds was accurate for the first time, but it is totally inaccurate for who he is now and how he will come back again. So here's what I've done. I've expanded the verses for you, the same ones we just read. I've expanded them so that you can write some notes above and below some of the verses as we go through it again, and I will explain some of the symbolism to you, okay? So let's look at who Jesus really is and how he will come back. Same set of verses, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse. Okay? Now, this imagery is of a battle horse. All right? And the reason the horse is white is because it symbolizes victory. Because Jesus is coming back as a conqueror. Okay? Not as one who has the potential to conquer, but one whose victory is certain. All right? whose rider is called faithful and true. He's faithful to fulfill his promise to come back again, and it means that he is true and just in all of his ways. It says, with justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, okay? That means that he, he sees everything and nothing is hidden from the penetrating gaze of Christ. And on his head are many crowns, okay? The crowns symbolize that he has authority over all of the kings, prime ministers, presidents, whatever kind of titles you want to use. He's got authority over every nation on this earth. It says he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Okay, you know what that's a reference to? Yeah, I don't either, because the Bible says that only Jesus knows it. Like, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't know what that is. Right. And we don't even, in fact, we don't even know why it's a secret, 
okay? But that's, I'm just saying this is what it says. Okay, next, verse 13. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Okay, now look, that's not his secret name that we just talked about. That's a reference to what Jesus is called in John chapter 1, so that there's no confusion that we're talking about Jesus Christ here. Okay, now, the part where his robe is dipped in blood, I, like I used to think that that, would, that was a reference to the fact that you know, Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Not true. That's not what this is referring to. It's referring to the fact that that blood is the blood of the foes that he will vanquish when he comes back again, signifying that he is a conqueror and no one and nothing could stand against him. That's what he's talking about. And how will he be victorious over his enemies? By the word of God with with which he will judge every nation. That's what it's saying. Verse 14, the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. You see, this is how Jesus really is and how he will appear when he comes back. You know, and sometimes when we pray, you know, we we just have in our minds this image of this, you know, poor peasant Jesus who just barely has enough power to attract giggling children around him and calm farm farm animals. I mean, that's what we think about. And hopefully he would be able to, you know, have enough power to answer our prayer as long as it's not something too terribly big. No! That's not Jesus at all. I'm telling you, we need to change our image that we have to reflect what the Bible says Jesus really is now. Not who he was, but who he is. And who he is is a powerful warrior whose victory is certain, so powerful that even the combined superpower nations of the world would have no hope of prevailing against him. So can he answer your prayer about your child or your health or your job or your career or your finances or your whatever? Absolutely he can, because this is who he is. And when you come to church and you sing and you worship, you know, the image that you really ought to have in your mind is you ought to have like uh, the image of like a, 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 a worldwide sized arena filled with billions of people with Jesus Christ at center stage. And through that throng of people rises up incredible amounts of worship and they're singing to him and worshiping him because he has won them over by conquering sin and death on the cross and he reigns victoriously. That is who we worship on a Sunday morning. And that's the kind of stuff we ought to have in our minds because that is who he is. Now, here's the most incredible part. This powerful, conquering, all-supreme, reigning Jesus Christ wants to have a relationship with you, a personal relationship with you. And he loves you and he cares about you and you matter to him. That is amazing. But that's who he is. 
There's a second thing that we need to know and understand, and that is this, is that I need to take the Bible seriously. I need to take the Bible seriously. Why? Because this is the standard by which your life will be judged. And see, when you realize that your life is going to be judged by the standards of this book, well, now, that, that's a game changer, isn't it? I mean, that changes things. Look what the Bible says in our, in our passage we've been reading. Pick it up in verse 15. It says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Okay, now look. That sharp sword is a symbolic reference to the Bible, okay? When Jesus comes back, he's not going to have like a sharp sword sticking out of his mouth, you know, where he's like, ah, you know. I mean, no. I mean, that's, I can't believe I just did that in public, actually. So, <laughs> that's actually a reference to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, when the Bible is referred to as a sharp, double-edged sword, and Jesus will use that standard to judge the people of the world. That's what he's saying. It says, he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Look, here's the deal. Since you and I are going to be judged by the standards that are written in this book, then we need to read it. And understand it. And listen, here's the thing. If we will take the time to understand it, then, then lots of confusing things will become clear, okay? For instance, one of the most fascinating things about the book of Revelation are all of the judgments that God is going to pour out on the world in the last days. Now, in the Bible, these are described as seven seals seven trumpets, and seven bowls, okay? And they're all in the book of Revelation. And as you read these, when you read about each one of them, you know, when you get down to number seven, like number seven is not listed. When you get down to the seventh trumpet, it, we don't, it doesn't tell us what the seventh one is. We get down to the seventh bowl, we don't know what the seventh one is. And I used to think that the seventh seal was the seven trumpets, and I used to think that the seventh trumpet was the seven bowls, and I kind of had no idea what that one was. <laughs> but after I actually started studying the book of Revelation, I realized none of that's true. What I realized is that the seventh seal, seventh trumpet, seventh bowl all describe the same final judgment on the world. And that same, that last thing that they're describing is the return of Jesus Christ. That's what the seventh one of each one of these really is. It's the return of Christ. Because you see, as you read the book of Revelation, as you kind of get down through this, it feels like the author is building up to this final crescendo. And when it gets to number seven, he just leaves us hanging. I didn't say anything. Look, look what the Bible says. In Revelation chapter 8, 1, it says, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. You know, and then the Bible says nothing. Revelation eleven fifteen, And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And then John says nothing. Revelation 16, 7, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. And 
then it says nothing. Okay, so look, here's the thing. Each of these passages are describing, when it gets to number seven, different parts of the same event. So look, so when God says, hey, it's time for the second coming of Christ, all of the angels and people of heaven just, like they go quiet for like half an hour because they realize, holy cow, this is it. And then they just spontaneously erupt in applause and excitement because they know this is it. And then finally, an archangel just cries out, it's done, it's over, it's finished. I mean, can you imagine what that is gonna look like? I mean, that's gonna be incredible. And so look, here's the thing. When you, it's not like there's seven seals and at the end then there's seven trumpets, seven bowls. No, no. All of these judgments, these number ones, are all happening at the same time. And so down through the list until you get to number seven, and then all of that is describing the same final event. And that event, that day, is going to be awesome for those that are Christ followers. And it will be awful for those who are not. But you don't get any of that kind of stuff until you start studying the Bible. And so, you need to read it. You need to start studying it. And so perhaps for you, that means that, you know, you just need to start reading the Bible regularly. And if that's you, listen, I, I want to recommend something that will help you a ton. I want to recommend this book. It's a book by uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. I love this book. I personally use this book in my own personal Bible study. What it does, it takes each book of the Bible, gives you like a three or four page, like just synopsis of the book. So it makes you understand the whole book really quickly. And then it gives you some tips for how to read that book so that you can understand it. I mean, it is a fabulous book. I mean, you can get this book for less than 15 bucks on Amazon. Great book. Highly recommend it, especially if you're just starting out reading the Bible, or even if you are. Man, I, again, I use this book. Now, if you want to read the book of Revelation, let me offer you a couple other books that I would recommend. Uh, the first one is called The Theology of the Book of Revelation by Richard Bauckham. Great book. He goes event by event through the book of Revelation and gives you some insight into understanding what the author is really talking about. Then there's another book called, creatively enough, The Book of Revelation by a guy named Robert Mounts, and he goes verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Now, this book is a little bit harder to read. It's also like really thick, so, um, but it's really, really good. Both of these books are very conservative and very sound theologically and highly recommend them if you're going to study the book of Revelation because look, it's hard to understand. And so get some help. In fact, the Bible sometimes can be a challenge. So get some help in really studying it because you need to take it seriously because this is the standard by which your life is going to be compared one day. And now we come to the third thing. Third thing we glean from this passage today is this. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Verse 16 says this. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like, I know, like his thigh seems like a really weird place to write his name, okay? Now this does not mean that you need to go get a tattoo of this verse on your thigh. That's not what this passage is saying. 
it, 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 it's, a, it's, again, symbolic because the, pl- the, the part of his garment that would hang over his thigh was the same place where his sword would be. And so it's talking about the, the fact that Jesus is victorious and will be victorious over every nation of the world. That's what it's saying there. And since that is true, there's no reason to lose hope. I mean, it might seem like this world is getting worse, but don't lose hope because evil has an end. It might seem that darkness is winning, but those are only temporary victories because in the end, darkness cannot win because one day, one day, our heavenly father will stand up and he will say, Enough. It's time. And that image has brought hope to Christ followers across the centuries. And it can bring hope to you and to me. So find your connection card and let's take some next steps together. Perhaps it's this first next step. I commit to change the image of Jesus in my mind to reflect more of who he is than who he was. That would be huge, wouldn't it? Next, I will read the Bible more consistently since it is the standard by which my life will be measured. Would you make that commitment? I'm telling you, if you will just do that, that one thing will change your life more than any other thing you could ever do. Just read the Bible. Read God's word. Next, I will read through and study the book of Revelation. Would you make that commitment? Use this series as, a, as motivation to jumpstart that. I'm telling you, it's fascinating. Next, I will purchase one of the resources mentioned today. Okay? If you check this box, I will, in an email I, this week, I will send you a link to each one of these books and you can buy one or all of them. And I know, like probably, you know, like a third of you probably already ordered one of them on your phone. Like, and that's totally fine. I'm good with it. But we'll send you a link where you could order any of these books. Okay, next. Because Jesus is coming again, I will not lose hope no matter what. Would you check that box? Or this last one. I will pray the prayer to become a genuine Christ follower today for the first time in my life. Look, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive you and pledge your life to following him, you're not a Christ follower, not yet. And if Jesus comes back, it will become too late to make that decision. So don't wait. Make that decision now. If you're ready to become a Christ follower, there's a sample prayer for how to do that at the bottom of your message notes. I want you to pray that prayer right now. In fact, I'm going to give everybody a chance to pray silently to God and ask him, to help you follow through with your next step, whatever you've checked, and then use that next step to change your own life. So right now, everybody, bow your head, close your eyes, and take these next moments to pray.
Father, I want to thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for making it so clear about how Jesus is going to come back and how motivating and inspiring and how, how amazing and awesome that it's going to be. And I'm asking you <clears throat> to help us have that image in our minds when we pray and when we worship and we sing to you. And Father, I also want to say thank you for sending Jesus the first time. Because without that, there would be no hope for any of us. And so I ask that you would help us to live as people prepared, to live as people who always have hope, to live as people who have the end in mind. And I ask you to do all of this in the powerful, majestic, victorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.